You're listening to Zaria Hollow, a horror anthology where the veil between worlds is but a whisper away. Stay tuned, for the terror is just beginning. my wandering friends. Now, what are you all doing wandering out here in the dark? What's the matter? Your lantern run out of fuel? Oh, the batteries are dead, eh? Well, <laughs> that's not surprising around here. The old witch, she has a way of playing tricks on the unprepared. You see, folks around here might tell you it's not the wisest of notions to wander these paths and peaks. But us, we know better, don't we? We're the curious ones, the seekers of stories untold, the kind who find a certain thrill in the mysteries that linger in the dark. So pull up a seat and lend an ear. The night's embrace is warm, the fire's glow inviting, and I've got a story. Help yourself to some coffee in that carafe on that stump, or some chili in that pot there. It's not much, but it'll warm your bones on this chilly night. Now then, where were we? Ah, uh, yes, I was going to tell you this story. It happened around the time I was a young man, when the world was a different place and the mountains of Northern California held secrets that whispered through the wind. Picture it, a time when the rugged landscapes were untouched by the rapid pace of progress, and the misty peak of Witchcrest held an air of mystery that hung heavy in the air. I was just a lad back then, known more for the songs I strummed on my guitar than for any grand adventures. But fate has a funny way of nudging us in unexpected directions, and before I knew it, I found myself entangled in a tale that would forever shape my understanding of the supernatural and the power of music. It was in the 1850s, a time when tales of the supernatural still held sway over people's hearts and minds. Among these tales was the legend of Elias Volchek, a name that stirred both fascination and trepidation. Elias was not a man who blended into the crowd, his presence commanded attention whenever he entered a room. A solitary figure, Elias was known for his skillful mastery of the violin, captivating anyone who heard his music. Yet, he was also rumored to have an otherworldly connection to the mountains themselves. Witchcrest Peak, even then, was a place where whispers of magic lingered in the air. The locals spoke of a hidden realm ruled by spectral creatures, half-beings, and it was said that Elias could communicate with these spirits through his haunting melodies. Some believed him to be a conduit between the mortal world and the twilight realm, a gifted musician who could bridge the gap between the seen and the unseen. But there was another tale, darker and more unsettling, that wove its way through the whispers of the town. Some claimed that Elias had ventured too close to the heart of Witchcrest Peak during a fateful Walpurgisnacht. A night when the boundary between the living and the dead grew thin. The mountain, it was said, held secrets and creatures beyond mortal understanding. Goblins, spirits and creatures that danced under the moon's eerie glow. According to the most chilling version of the tale, Elias had encountered these supernatural entities on that ill-fated night. He had seen goblins cavorting with spirits, heard the whispers of the spectral choir, and danced with the shadowy figures that inhabited the peak. The experience had driven him to the brink of madness, and he had returned from the mountain forever changed. Elias's once brilliant music had transformed into a haunting refrain, a never-ending loop of Grieg's in the hall of the mountain king. His violin became an instrument of his torment, playing the eerie melody over and over as he sang the lyrics of the ballad that he claimed the mountain king himself had taught him. Slyším je ano, šepotají v temnotě, jejich hlasy jako tisíce malých nožů. Do you see them? Are the goblins with their twisted grins dancing in the shadows? 
vidíte je. Skřípci se svými skroucenými úsměvy tancující v temnotě in the hall of the mountain king. V sále krále hory. The witch of Witchcrest Peak, she calls to me. Her voice a seductive caress. Čarodějnice z Witchcrest Peak volá mě. Její hlas je svádivý pohlazeň. The townsfolk, both mesmerized and disturbed by his music, could only watch as Elias's obsession consumed him. His cabin on the outskirts of town became a focal point of curiosity and dread. From its windows, the mournful strains of his violin would drift, carried by the wind to the ears of those who dared to listen. It was said that Elias's eyes had taken on an otherworldly gleam, his very presence exuding an uncanny aura that sent shivers down the spines of those who encountered him. Some whispered that Elias was no longer entirely human, that he had become a vessel for the mountain's ancient spirits. Others believed he had made a pact with death himself, and that the haunting melody was a token to their sinister agreement. But no matter the truth, Elias had become a living embodiment of the mountain's mysteries, a man forever entwined with its secrets. To this day, the echoes of Elias's music still resonate in the hills around Witchcrest Peak. Those who venture into the mountains on a moonlit night might catch a faint whisper of his haunting melody carried by the wind. And as they listen, they may catch a glimpse of a figure, Elias Vulcek. His wild hair and eyes alight with an otherworldly fire, playing his violin under the watchful gaze of the moon. But the story of Elias Volchek lives on. A tale of music, madness, and the enigmatic forces that call Witchcrest Peak their home. And so, my friends, as you stand amidst the mist-covered paths leading up the old witch, let the wind carry the echoes of his song to your ears. Listen, and perhaps you'll catch a glimpse of the man who danced with the mountain, a figure forever lost in the haunting beauty of Witchcrest Peak. Funny how the sands of time can bury the most intriguing stories, don't you agree? But I've got a little secret for you, one of those whispers from the past that refuses to be forgotten. You see, not many folks today remember the exact spot where old Elias Vilcek's cabin used to stand. It's almost like the memory of it has been tucked away in the shadows, hidden from view. However, I do happen to know it. I believe I'm the only one left who remembers old Elias's old cabin at all. Now here's a curious tidbit that'll make your imagination stir. Those sprawling front gardens of the Hendrickson house? Well, they hold a secret, a secret of a bygone era. Once upon a time, they cradled the very ground where Elias Vilcek's cabin stood. It's as though the very essence of his presence has seeped into the soil, leaving behind a trace of his journey. You might be tempted to think that Elias Vulcek's tale has been relegated to the forgotten pages of history, lost among the countless stories of the past. Yet let me assure you, my friend, that the past has a way of asserting itself, particularly in the quiet corners of our collective memory. But the memory of his music and his peculiar madness remains alive. It's a tale whispered around campfires, shared in hushed tones over mugs of cider, and carried forth on the very breeze that rustles through the trees. Grieg's haunting melody has found a home in the heart of these mountains, its notes echoing through the ages. And though Elias's last name might have transformed into something a bit more exotic, Volchek, the fiddling phantasm, some call him, the core of his story remains unaltered. It's a story of a man who danced on the edge of the supernatural and the macabre, whose violin strings wove enchantment and a hint of despair in equal measure. So as you stroll past the Hendrickson house, marveling at the beauty of those gardens, remember that beneath the vibrant foliage lies a concealed narrative waiting to be unraveled. It's a tale of a violinist who forged a connection with the very spirits of the mountain, a melody that weaves through the fabric of time itself. And let the echoes of the past remind you that some stories, much like the mountain song, are destined to persist even as the years roll on. And now, dear listener, as we bask in the shadow of this tale, I invite you to close your eyes and let me take you back to those mist-covered mountains. Listen as my fingers dance upon the strings of this old guitar. Maybe, just maybe, there is a chance there is enough magic left over in this place that maybe I can conjure the memory of that night, the first time I sat here, 
with the same guitar and sang the ballad for myself. You see, it was a night like tonight, with the moon casting long shadows and the stars winking like old friends. I was just a young man then, full of dreams and wanderlust, just like you. In the land where shadows creep, with eager secrets deep, Whistling winds with eerie voices through the darkness glide. Peter Pete, the whisper soar, mysteries clad in shadows lore, tales entwined by destiny's thread in the ghostly night. High above where stars align, towering spires in moonlight shine, ruling over realms untold in this mystic land. In the depths where rivers flow, evermore they dance and glow, falling from the lofty heights. Drifting snows embrace Gleaming eyes of misty glance Drawing near and ghostly dance Listening for the call they hear Join the revelry Tapping shoes with rhythmic sound Not his head and lightly found Bentley's weave of red and spell Magic harmony huh. A shimmering light in the shadows, mystic sight. Realms concealed from mortal eyes, hidden from the day. Gone in darkness from the hall, illuminated, standing tall. Shadows sway and softly watch an ethereal array. Tiny voices sing and shout, with their king they dance about. Robed in green, the mountains crown, leading to believe. That's something. That lightning strike must have been a real doozy. You took quite a tumble there, friend. Don't you worry now. You're safe and sound. You've been out cold for a spell, but the storm's done moved on, and the sun's peeking through the trees. I reckon it's a brand new day. You know, while you were napping, I couldn't help but think about all that's been happening in Shadowbrook camp lately. There's this charity event coming up, you see? Folks around here are buzzing about it like a swarm of bees in a field of wildflowers. They're planning to fill Hendrickson Hall with music, laughter, and goodwill. It's been a while since we had something like this, and it's got the whole town in a tizzy. Now, you might be wondering, how can I be part of this here event? Well, it's as easy as pie. All you gotta do is mosey on down to Shadowbrook Camp when the time comes. You see, I've got my hands full delivering all these invitations and letters about the event. And I'd be delighted to have you tag along while I make my rounds. 
We can chat, share stories, and I'll fill you in on all the exciting details. Or if you'd rather just listen in from afar, that's perfectly fine too. Shadowbrook's got its fair share of secrets and tales, and I reckon you'll catch a whiff of them as you wander these hills. So what do you say? You up for a little adventure, friend? Whether you're near or far, there's a place for you in the heart of our town, and I'm here to guide you every step of the way. Well, partner, it seems like our first stop should be Hendrickson Hall. Mrs. Thornway, the housekeeper there, she told me there was quite the situation that unfolded in town last night, and it ain't one for the faint of heart. From what I've gathered, it involves one of them miners from down in the depths of Witchcrest Peak. The story's got a dark cloud hanging over it, like a storm brewing in the distance. Now, I ain't got all the details just yet, but I reckon Mrs. Thornway can fill us in on the particulars. She's got a way of telling a tale that'll send a shiver down your spine. So off to Hendrickson Hall we go, friend. Climb on the buggy. This one's bound to be a bit of a wild ride. Mrs. Thornway. Good morning, Johnny. It seems this day has greeted us with its usual air of mystery. You seem rather contemplative today. Is something amiss? There is a matter, Johnny. One that concerns the recent events in Shadowbrook Camp. But before I share it, I must offer a word of caution to our esteemed guest. A word of caution? I see, Mrs. Thornway. It's wise to prepare our friend here for what lies ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, it falls upon me, Adeline Thornway, the ever-watchful housekeeper of Hendrickson Hall, to offer a word of caution before we venture forth into this narrative. The tale we are about to unfurl delves into dark and unsettling territories. Be forewarned, for the story contains elements of self-harm and the discharge of a firearm, matters not for the faint of heart. These are grave topics, and they may stir disquiet in those who have experienced such hardships. I implore you, dear listeners, to consider your own dispositions. If the echoes of these themes resonate too closely with your own struggles, I beseech you to prioritize your well-being. of my saloon creaked open and my brother James stumbled inside. His eyes, once filled with determination, were now hollow. I watched him closely, concern gnawing at my gut. James didn't utter a word, but his eyes told a story of their own. There was something profoundly wrong, something that had shaken him to his core. The patrons at the tables fell into a hushed silence. 
their card games momentarily forgotten as they too recognized the depths of his distress. As James approached the bar, he reached into his coat pocket and pulled out a bundle of folded sheets of paper. He placed them on the worn wooden surface with a trembling hand. It was a story, his story. I met his gaze, my own eyes filled with worry and uncertainty, but he didn't speak, he didn't need to. The look in his eyes conveyed the gravity of his ordeal. Without a word, James turned and walked towards the saloon's exit. His steps were heavy, burdened, not just by the weight of the story he had penned, but by the nightmarish memories that had scarred his soul. A moment later, a single gunshot echoed through the stillness of the night. The patrons, my customers and I, exchanged anxious glances, our hearts heavy with dread. We knew a deep down that something had shattered within James, something irreparable. I, I rushed to the saloon's entrance, my heart pounding in my chest. The moonlight spilled over the lifeless form of my brother, sprawled on the dusty ground. The saloon fell into an eerie silence. As I stepped outside, the moon hung low in the sky, casting an ethereal glow over the scene, as if nature itself mourned the tragedy that had unfolded. I knelt beside James, his body still warm, but his spirit forever departed. With trembling hands, I gently closed his unseeing eyes. A final act of respect for the brother I had lost. As I did so, I whispered the prayer our mama had taught us both. I made my way back inside the door, creaking as I re-entered the dimly lit saloon. The patrons watched in somber anticipation, their faces etched with concern and curiosity. They understood that whatever James had penned on those pages left on the bar held a truth more chilling than any ghost story. I approached the bar and spotted the folded sheets of paper that James had left behind. With a heavy heart, I picked up the bundle, knowing that it contained the tale of horror and despair that my brother had written. I unfolded the sheets of paper, the rustling of parchment breaking the silence. My eyes scanned the words, and I cleared my throat, preparing to read aloud the tale that had shaken my brother to his core. These are the final words of a man driven to the brink of despair. A desperate attempt to clear my brother's, my brother's conscience, conscience and reveal the, the harrowing truth that lies hidden beneath the depths of Witchcrest Peak. I pen these words as a solemn warning to all who dare to tread upon this cursed land, a land where darkness reigns, and malevolent forces hold sway over the hearts and minds of those who dare to venture into its depths. I worked as a foreman for the Hendrickson Mining Company of Witchcrest Peak, overseeing a team of resilient miners who toiled relentlessly in the unforgiving heart of the mountain. Our lives were bound by sweat, grit, and a camaraderie forged through shared toil. Little did we know that our labor would lead us into a nightmarish abyss where the boundaries between reality and the supernatural would blur into an indistinguishable haze. Deep within these accursed depths, a malevolent presence has taken root, defying reason and sanity. Once a man of rational thought, I scoffed at tales of the supernatural as mere fables. Yet what I've borne witness to it has shattered my convictions. It all commenced with whispers, voices not of this world, their tongues weaving cryptic languages that echoed through the tunnels. We miners, known for our pragmatism, dismissed them as mere echoes, the babbling of the earth. But these were no ordinary echoes. They bore purpose, a sinister intent. Laughter! Laughter of a woman pervaded the tunnels, yet there were no women in the mines. It was as though the very air had come alive, taunting us 
with its disembodied mirth. And then the sightings of the seductive woman who beckoned some among us deeper into the abyss, promising secrets and pleasures beyond imagination. Those who followed her were never seen again, their fates shrouded in mystery. Some believe that the spirit of the seductive woman embodies the witch of Witchcrest Peak herself, while others posit that the oppressive entity is the Mountain King, known by many names. They say the witch, an enchantress beguiling and seductive, holds dominion over the forces that lured us astray, while the Mountain King, a harbinger of malevolence, embodies the darkness that ensnared our souls. Then came the unseen hands, icy fingers brushing against our skin, leaving trails of dread in their wake. We could feel their touch, weightless as a breeze, yet suffocating as a vice. Subsequently, we encountered them, twisted forms lurking in the shadows, their presence as elusive as smoke. They moved with grotesque fluidity, shape-shifting before our disbelieving eyes, these were no creatures of the natural world. They were aberrations of existence itself. We tried to flee, to escape this cursed place, but it pursued us, its presence unwavering. It taunted us a relentless tormentor that refused to release its grip. As I write this, I do so with a heavy heart, for I fear I may never see the light of day again. Witchcrest Peak has become our prison, and this malevolent force, our jailer. If you receive this, take heed. Stay far from Witchcrest Peak, for there are forces here that defy understanding. Pray that you are spared the horrors that have befallen us. The patrons exchanged somber glances, and their eyes filled with a profound fear that seemed to seep into the very marrow of their bones. The old witch had always cast a long and chilling shadow over all our lives. Its presence lurking in the recesses of our thoughts like a nameless dread. But James's story had now brought that darkness within the mountain, out of the mines, through the eerie, dimly lit streets, and into the saloon, into our very souls. It was as if the malevolent forces of Witchcrest Peak had found a way to breach the boundaries that separated us from the abyss. And now there was no escaping the pervasive sense of impending doom that hung in the air. The saloon itself seemed to shudder under the weight of the narrative, its walls echoing with the silent screams of the tormented souls trapped in a never-ending nightmare. As I carefully folded the pages and set them aside, a chilling realization settled upon us all. The horrors of that night were not confined to the depths of the mines. They had seeped into our lives, tainting everything with a darkness that defied comprehension. The old witch had claimed another victim and its insidious influence now reached further than ever before casting a shadow that threatened to consume us all. Folks, listen up. I reckon it's high time we stopped keeping this to ourselves. What we've heard tonight, what the foreman here went through down in them mines, it ain't natural, and it sure as hell ain't something we should be ignoring. We can't pretend it ain't real no more. It's time we face it head on. I second that. I've heard enough strange things happening in their minds to make my skin crawl. It ain't safe down there no more. I've had enough of this silence. We all know what's been happening in their minds, and it ain't no coincidence. We've lost good men down there, and we can't keep pretending like it's just bad luck. I reckon it's high time we inform Mr. Hendrickson. He's our employer, and he's got a stake in this town. So I suggest we gather up tomorrow and head to Hendrickson's office. We owe it to the foreman and all them who suffered to let him know what's going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
Remember the story I told you last night by the campfire? Well, here we are in the gardens of Hendrickson Hall, and right over there is the spot where it all happened. Elias Vocek's cottage used to stand here before they tore it down piece by piece. Folks from all around came to take bits of it, wood, bricks, whatever they could carry. Some said it brought bad luck, possessing something from Elias's place. You see, after Elias's death, his memory seemed to fade like an old tune. But Mr. Hendrickson, he's a different sort of gent. When I shared the tale with him, he decided to put that statue there and that vase with a violin carved into it. There's even a nice little plaque with Elias's name. I come by here every day to deliver the post, and sometimes I find myself riding up this way just to be here again. Now, let me share a secret with you. You see this knife on my belt, worn and old? It's the same one I had as a kid. And this chisel here, it's the first tool they gave me to clean out the horse hooves. But something, I don't rightly know what, compelled me to take that chisel and carve into that urn, leaving little scratches. You might think me mad for saying this, but when I was done, I don't reckon I need to tell you what it sort of looked like, do I? In the heart of Shadowbrook Camp, amid the towering pines, an air of palpable anticipation swirled like evening mist. Esme Levine, the celebrated opera luminary, had graced the town with her ethereal voice, an enchanting serenade that had enraptured audiences far and wide. Yet, this particular evening bore the promise of something truly extraordinary. An exquisite missive, bearing the unmistakable seal of Hendrickson Hall, had found its way to Esme's doorstep. Its courier, none other than Johnny Bailey, the town's venerable liveryman and postman. Mrs. Levine, ma'am, I've got a message for you straight from Hendrickson Hall. They said it's mighty important, and I'm here to wait for your word on it. No rush, of course, just passing on the word. Une lettre de la ville? Tiens donc, c'est curieux. Dear Mrs. Levine, I cordially invite you to Hendrickson Hall this very evening. Yours sincerely, Reinhard Hendrickson. Ah, c'est très vague. An invitation. But it says an important matter. Très important, non? I'm not sure what to make of it. Qu'est-ce que tu penses, Johnny? Johnny, do you know much about Mr. Hendrickson? I've heard his name around town, but I've never had the pleasure of meeting him. Oh, well, Mrs. Levine, you could say Mr. Reinhard Hendrickson and I are more than just acquaintances. We're good friends indeed. He's been like a guiding star for me in these hills, inviting me to his house countless times, helping me with my mailing and livery business, and, well, I know his daughter well, too. She's quite the smart young lady, very fond of her father. Hendrickson owns the big mining operation on Witchcrest Peak and is quite the philanthropist. He personally assists the miners and their families with any troubles, even buries their dead. Unlike some mining bosses, he actually works alongside the men at times during the dangerous expeditions. I see. So this letter... C'est très vague. Une invitation, rien de plus. I don't quite understand its meaning. What could he want with me? You know, there's a shindig coming up in town, and Mr. Hendrickson has a deep appreciation for the arts. It's quite possible he's considering some sort of artistic event and wants to discuss it with you. I can't say for certain, but I reckon it's worth finding out. Whatever the case, Mr. Reinhardt is a fine man, and his intentions are likely well meant. Thank you for delivering this, Johnny. Please convey my gratitude to Mr. Hendrickson. I shall be honored to attend. It's a pleasure to be the bearer of such good tidings, Mrs. Levine. I'll let Mr. Hendrickson know right away. As Esme's heart quickened, her thoughts danced with the possibilities that Mr. Hendrickson, a renowned patron of the arts, held in store. As the sun dipped beneath the horizon, Johnny Bailey, liveryman and postman extraordinaire, stood resolute outside Esme's charming cottage, ready to escort her to the fabled Hendrickson Hall. Mrs. Levine, 
If you'd be so inclined, I can whisk you over to Hendrickson Hall in the buggy. Tis but a stone's throw away, and your feet deserve a rest. That's most kind, Johnny. I'd be delighted. With a flick of the reins, they embarked on the short journey, the rhythmic clopping of horse hooves serenading their way through the serene streets of Shadowbrook Camp. Emerging from the veil of trees, the resplendent Hendrickson Hall revealed itself, bathed in a soft, inviting glow emanating from lanterns and candles that adorned the grand estate. Hendrickson Hall, a magnificent masterpiece of architecture, loomed on the outskirts of Shadowbrook Camp like a timeless sentinel guarding its secrets. This grand estate was a monument to the opulence of a bygone era, a good metaphor for the affluence and taste of its owner, Mr. Reinhard Hendrickson. The mansion, a splendid example of the second Gothic revival style, displayed a breathtaking array of architectural details. Its facade was adorned with intricate stone carvings, each telling a story of craftsmanship and artistry. Tall, arched windows with leaded glass panes punctuated the structure, allowing soft rays of sunlight to filter through and cast intricate patterns on the polished marble floors within. The entrance was a grand spectacle in itself, Twin oak doors, massive and imposing, were intricately carved with intricate patterns of vines and leaves, as if nature itself had reached out to claim the mansion. Among the myriad stained glass windows that adorned Hendrickson Hall, one stood out as a true marvel, a masterpiece of artistry and symbolism. This particular window, with its expansive dimensions and intricate details, depicted the celestial wonders of the zodiac and its 12 signs. Each sign was rendered with meticulous precision, its characteristics and attributes vividly portrayed in rich, vibrant colors. Aries, the ram, displayed its fiery energy, while Taurus, the bull, exuded strength and determination. The twins of Gemini were portrayed in a playful dance, while Cancer, the crab, clung to its shell in a protective stance. Leo, the majestic lion, gazed regally from the window, its presence commanding attention. Virgo's attention to detail was evident in every meticulous stroke of the artist's brush, while Libra, the scales, symbolized perfect balance and harmony. Scorpio's intensity and passion radiated from its depiction, while Sagittarius, the archer, took aim at distant horizons. The steadfast goat of Capricorn stood resolute, and Aquarius poured forth the waters of knowledge. Finally, Pisces, the fish, swam gracefully through the vibrant sea of colors their duality beautifully captured in the glass. The zodiac window, bathed in the soft, filtered light of the setting sun, was a breathtaking work of art that not only celebrated the mysteries of the stars, but also served as a reminder of the interconnectedness of the universe. It was a sight to behold, both for its sheer artistic brilliance and the spiritual depth it added. As you approach the mansion, two stone lions, their majestic forms frozen in time, flanked the entrance. Their solemn countenances seemed to hold the secrets of centuries past, silently guarding the threshold to Hendrickson Hall. The surrounding gardens were a masterpiece of landscaping, with meticulously manicured hedges, vibrant flower beds, and winding paths that seemed to beckon visitors to explore their mysteries. Ancient oaks and towering pines provided shade and whispered secrets carried by the gentle breeze. The mansion itself sat atop a small rise, commanding a view of the entire estate. The grounds stretched out before it, adorned with fountains, statues, and a tranquil lake that reflected the beauty of the mansion like a shimmering mirror. Hendrickson Hall stood as a beacon of culture and refinement in the wilderness of Northern California, a place where art and elegance converged. It was here, amid the opulence of this second Gothic revival masterpiece, that Esme Levine would embark on a new chapter in her own story, unaware of the secrets and revelations that awaited her within its hallowed halls.
From Adeline Thornway's diary. Date, May 1st, 1873. Dear diary, the evening of May 1st, 1873, brought with it a sense of anticipation that hung in the air like the delicate scent of blooming flowers. As the sun began its descent beyond the horizon, I received word that Johnny Bailey, our dependable liveryman and postman, was en route with a very special guest. Mrs. Esme Levine, the celebrated opera luminary, was to grace Hendrickson Hall with her presence. The sky, painted in shades of indigo and lavender, seemed to bless this occasion, providing the perfect backdrop for such an important event. The gentle breeze rustled through the towering pines of Shadowbrook Camp, as if nature itself rejoiced in the impending arrival. From the window, I observed as Johnny skillfully halted the buggy near our grand entrance. Mrs. Levine, an embodiment of grace and elegance, emerged with a quiet dignity that belied her renowned status. My responsibilities, however, did not allow me to linger in the role of a mere spectator. I swiftly made my way to Mr. Reinhard Hendrickson's study to convey the long-awaited news of Mrs. Levine's arrival. Upon hearing of her presence, Mr. Hendrickson's face lit up with an excitement akin to the vivid sunset outside. He eagerly anticipated the opportunity to extend his warm welcome to our esteemed guest. With a sense of purpose, I returned to overseeing the final preparations for the evening's gathering. Candles were meticulously lit, casting their warm, inviting glow upon the grand hall. Every detail had to be flawless. Mrs. Esme Levine's arrival demanded nothing less. At long last, the moment arrived. Mrs. Levine, approaching the grand entrance, rang the doorbell and the sweet chime resonated through the mansion. Anticipation filled the air like a delicate melody as our esteemed guest crossed the threshold into the embrace of Hendrickson Hall. The night, bathed in the hues of a May evening, was ready to unfold in all its splendor. Yours faithfully, Adeline Thornway. Welcome, Mrs. Levine, to Hendrickson Hall. Please, allow me to formally introduce myself. I am Reinhard Hendrickson. It is a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Hendrickson. How have you found life in our humble town so far? Thank you, Mr. Hendrickson. It's been quite the adventure. The beauty of the surrounding wilderness is breathtaking, and the people I've met have been most welcoming. Our little community does have its charms. I must say, your arrival has stirred quite a buzz among the residents. Allow me to assure you that Shadowbrook Camp holds more than just surface beauty. It has its own rhythms, its own mysteries. Mysteries? You have me intrigued, Mr. Hendrickson. Please, do tell. Ah, those are stories for another time, perhaps. Tonight is about music, after all. But I believe you'll find that our town has a way of weaving its own magic into Reinhardt rises from his seat and retrieves a small, ornate box from a nearby cabinet, piquing Esme's curiosity. Speaking of magic, allow me to share something special with you, Mrs. Levine. Something that might bring a bit of your past back to life. He opens the box to reveal a beautifully preserved cylinder phonograph, casting a glint of nostalgia into Esme's eyes. A phonograph? Mr. Hendrickson, I appreciate the sentiment, but I'm afraid I've heard my fair share of phonograph recordings. Ah, but this one, my dear Mrs. Levine, is unlike any other. You see, this recording was made just for you many years ago. Just for me? I don't understand. Allow me to clarify. Years ago, in a distant city, you graced the stage in a performance that moved hearts and inspired souls. And on that very night, something remarkable happened. The next morning, a woman woke with joy in her heart, for she had discovered she was with child. That woman was my wife, and the performance was yours in Montreal. Esme's eyes widen in astonishment as the truth dawns on her. Montreal. I remember that night vividly, but 
How can this be? As it is, Mrs. Levine. That recording, my dear Castadiva, is a gift from a mother to her child, and now from a father to a woman who enchanted the world with her voice. this. My mother arranged most of my professional dealings at the time. She never told me about this recording. You see, Mr. Hendrickson, when I was performing Norma in Montreal, I was just 19, and my mother was the one handling all my professional affairs. But you should know, our relationship was far from ordinary. My mother was not the loving, supportive parent one might expect. She was... Well, she was downright abusive. She saw my talent as a means to an end, a way to fulfill her own ambition. And when it came to patrons like yourself... Mr. Hendrickson, she had her own agenda. In a dimly lit hotel party room in Montreal in the 1860s, Esme Levine stood before the imposing phonograph machine, her heart racing with a mixture of anticipation and trepidation. Beside her, her mother, a stern and relentless woman, watched her every move with an unyielding gaze. The engineer, M, a man of mechanical precision, stood ready to operate the phonograph. Mother, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I can do this. Esme, we've discussed this. This recording is crucial for your career. Now remember why you are here. Stand straight and sing beautifully. Esme nodded, her mother's words echoing in her ears as she took a deep breath and adjusted her posture. The weight of her mother's ambitions bore down on her shoulders as she prepared to sing. All set, Miss Levine. We're ready when you are. Esme nodded again, her voice quivering with a mix of anxiety and determination. She began to sing, her soprano voice filling the studio with the haunting melody of Casta Diva. The aria's ethereal beauty transcended the room's confines, captivating all who listened. As she sang, Esme tried to block out the presence of the well-dressed men, potential patrons and investors who observed her performance with keen interest. Their expectations hung heavily in the air, but she couldn't afford to be distracted. Focus, Esme. This is your chance to shine. Esme nodded once more, her mother's words serving as a constant reminder of the high stakes involved. In that moment, she sang not just for herself, but for the woman who had controlled her life and her destiny for so long. It was a performance that held the key to her future and the promise of freedom, but it came at a price she was only beginning to fully understand.
extraordinary debut, Young Soprano Shines as Norma, following in the footsteps of opera royalty. In a performance that will undoubtedly be remembered for generations to come, the prodigious Esme Levine, at the tender age of 19, graced the stage as the titular character in Bellini's Norma. The opera world was left in awe as this remarkably gifted soprano delivered a performance of unparalleled brilliance and emotional depth. Levine's portrayal of Norma, a role typically reserved for the most seasoned and experienced singers, defied expectations and transcended the boundaries of age. Her voice, a sublime instrument of ethereal beauty, soared effortlessly through the opera house, commanding the attention of every soul fortunate enough to be in attendance. Critics and patrons alike found themselves spellbound by Levine's masterful interpretation of the complex character. Her vocal prowess, marked by an astonishing vocal range and a captivating expressiveness, left audiences breathless. It was a performance that not only showcased her extraordinary talent, but also her ability to convey the deepest emotions with each note. Esme Levine, the daughter of renowned opera sensation Jeanne-Vive Levine, has inherited not only her mother's exceptional vocal talents, but also her remarkable ability to captivate audiences. It is undeniable that the legacy of her illustrious mother casts a long shadow, and yet, Esme's debut was nothing short of extraordinary. As the youngest soprano ever to undertake the role of Norma, Esme Levine has carved her name into the annals of operatic history. Her debut will undoubtedly be remembered as a milestone, a testament to the boundless potential of youth and the enduring power of music to move the human spirit. Opera enthusiasts and novices alike are left eagerly anticipating what this young star, bearing the legacy of Genevieve Levine, will bring to the world of opera in the years to come. Esme Levine is a rising star whose brilliance knows no bounds. I would like you to meet someone very special to me. This is my daughter, Zaria. Zaria, what a lovely name. It's a pleasure to meet you. As Zaria curtsied gracefully, her wide eyes sparkled with a mixture of awe and wonder. Zaria is a true treasure in my life. Her existence is a living memory to the incredible night we heard your voice in Montreal. Esme's eyes widened in understanding. Zaria, your father has shared something remarkable with me. It seems we share a connection through music, a connection that spans many years. 
I've always known about the angel who sings so beautifully. Papa told me the story many times. Well, Zaria, it's a joy to finally meet you in person. I hope we can become good friends. Oh, yes, please. Mama said you're a real angel and now I get to meet you. Zaria, I, I must tell you about someone special in my life. I have a potbelly pig named Beethoven. He's quite a character. Beethoven? <laughs> That's a funny name. Well, <laughs> he's as playful as his name and he loves to eat apples. Would you like to meet him someday? Yes, please. Beethoven sounds like a lot of fun. Mrs. Levine, your extraordinary talent and compassionate heart have led me to a heartfelt request. I ask if you would be willing to grace our upcoming charity event with your voice. Mr. Hendrickson, it would be an honor to perform at such a meaningful event. Your dedication to helping those in need is truly inspiring. Thank you, Mrs. Levine. Your presence and your music will bring solace and hope to the injured miners, their widows, and our entire community. Your gift will be a source of comfort and healing. And for that, we are profoundly grateful. I look forward to contributing in any way I can, Mr. Hendrickson. Let us make this event a night to remember, filled with the power of music and the warmth of community. Together, Mrs. Levine, we shall create an evening that will uplift hearts and remind us all of the resilience of the human spirit. Adeline Thornway's Diary. Entry, oh dear diary. These are the days I've been waiting for. The days when our quiet shadowed halls come alive with music and excitement. Mrs. Esme Levine has come into our lives and she's breathed a breath of fresh air into the very soul of this house. It all began when Mr. Reinhardt Hendrickson introduced Mrs. Levine to us. At first she was a vision, a radiant presence in our midst, but there was a fragility about her, a vulnerability that spoke volumes. I couldn't help but wonder about the stories she carried with her, the weight of her past, and the echoes of her voice that must have resonated through grand theatres in distant cities. It wasn't long before the music started. Mr. Hendrickson had arranged for Mrs. Levine to rehearse with him, and our home was transformed into a sanctuary of sound. The melodies of their voices intertwined, creating a tapestry of emotions that swept through the very walls. I found myself drawn to the music like a moth to a flame. I would sit in the parlor, my fingers tracing the ivory keys of the piano, trying to match the beauty of their voices with my own feeble attempts at accompaniment. The harmonies that filled the air were like a balm to my soul, a respite from the solitude that often shrouds me in this grand house. But it wasn't just the music that captivated me. It was the transformation I witnessed in Mrs. Levine. With every note, every crescendo, she seemed to shed the layers of her past, revealing a strength and resilience that left me in awe. It was as if the power of her voice carried her beyond the confines of her history, allowing her to soar to new heights. The house itself seemed to come alive in response to their music. The chandeliers sparkled with newfound brilliance, as if trying to outshine the stars in the night sky. The walls echoed with their melodies, as if whispering secrets of joy and sorrow. And even the old grandfather clock in the corner seemed to keep time to their rhythms, chiming with a newfound vigor. I watched as Mrs. Levine and Mr. Hendrickson 
poured their hearts and souls into their rehearsals. There was a camaraderie, a connection that transcended mere music. It was as if they were two kindred spirits, bound by a shared love for the art and a shared understanding of the world's complexities. As the days passed, I couldn't help but feel a sense of hope, a belief that music has the power to heal and transform. Mrs. Levine's presence had breathed life into this house, and I couldn't wait to see where this journey of music and friendship would lead us. In the quaint town of Cambridge, Massachusetts, nestled amidst the intellectual atmosphere of Harvard University, Professor Aloysius Wainwright's reputation as a scholar of the supernatural was widely acknowledged. The university's imposing buildings and manicured lawns bore witness to a legacy of academic excellence. On a warm summer's day, as students bustled about the venerable campus, a special delivery arrived at Professor Wainwright's office. The mailroom staff, accustomed to handling academic correspondence of all kinds, had received a letter marked with the seal of Hendrickson Hall. Its arrival drew curious glances and murmurs of intrigue among the university staff. The letter, though unassuming in appearance, carried the weight of old friendships and the allure of unsolved mysteries. It was carefully placed in Professor Wainwright's office, where he would find it upon his return from a lecture on the arcane. As Professor Wainwright entered his study, he noticed the letter resting on his desk. The seal, bearing the Hendrickson family crest, immediately caught his attention. His scholarly curiosity was piqued, for he recognized the sender's name as Reinhard Hendrickson, a name from his academic past. With a mixture of anticipation and nostalgia, Professor Wainwright carefully broke the wax seal and unfolded the letter. Professor Aloysius Wainwright, Harvard University, Cambridge, Massachusetts, June 5th, 1873. Dear Aloysius, I trust this letter finds you in good health. It has been quite some time since our days of scholarly pursuits, delving into mysteries beyond the grasp of ordinary minds. Firstly, I bring joyous news. My daughter Zaria, now in her ninth year, is flourishing into an exceptional young lady. Her presence has breathed new life and purpose into mine. However, I must now turn your attention to a perplexing series of events unfolding in the region of Witchcrest Peak, specifically the small settlement known as Shadowbrook Camp. Lately, our once peaceful community has been disturbed by baffling occurrences that have profoundly affected a resident, Miss Esme Levine. You may recall her as a talented soprano with a gift for enchanting performances. Yet, Esme has become entangled in a web of disconcerting dreams oscillating between two spectral apparitions. La Femme qui pleure, a tale etched deep in her childhood memories, and La Llorona, a legendary specter she came to know through our mutual friend, Madame Ruth. These haunting dreams have taken a toll on her well-being, a matter of deep concern for me. In conjunction with Esme's affliction, there have been disquieting reports from miners toiling in the vicinity. Whispers speak of a malevolent presence lurking in the depths of the mines, resembling the Wendigo legend. This has raised alarm among the indigenous tribes inhabiting these lands, as they fear our mining activities may trespass upon the sacred territory of the mountain. I recollect our shared adventures into the enigmatic. Your expertise in the realm of the paranormal is unparalleled. Thus, I humbly request your consideration of a journey to Witchcrest Peak, specifically Shadowbrook Camp. Your wisdom and knowledge could provide solace to our troubled township and shed light on these perplexing matters. I understand that such a decision requires careful consideration. Nevertheless, I earnestly implore you to ponder this request. Your mere presence would bring great comfort to our community, and your insights into the esoteric could prove invaluable in deciphering these mysteries. 
I beseech you, dear friend, to reflect upon this plea and respond without undue delay. I eagerly await your reply. With warm regards and fond memories of our shared past. Reinhardt Hendrickson